Hello and welcome to this Florence School of Regulation podcast with me, James Nebone, Research Associate in the Gas and Hydrogen team here at the FSR, and Ronnie Bermans. Welcome, Ronnie. Thank you, James. Glad to be here. Ronnie is a former professor at Cal 11, co-founder and former CEO of Energyville, as well as advisor here to the Florence School of Regulation. Ronnie's work focuses on the techno-economical aspects of power systems, electrical energy, regulatory affairs, as well as smart grids, security of energy supply, and much besides. He was also chair of the board for Elia and the Flemish Energy Regulator. But today we're applying his knowledge of chemistry and engineering as regards clean molecules. So thanks again for joining me today, Ronnie. It's a real pleasure. Glad to be here. I had hoped that the weather would be better, but we have to live with it. Yes, indeed. You may be able to hear a little bit of rain in the background. Uh, it's, uh, it's not a great day here in Florence, but nevertheless, uh, we'll make sure there's uh, plenty of interest here inside the room. So uh, the first question I wanted to ask you, Ronnie, is about the difference between hydrogen as an end in of itself and the products and the uses that perhaps we might see. So uh, my first question is, if we imagine that we need, say, X quantity of hydrogen at this point, we've heard in Repower EU numbers between 10 and 20 million tons. Um, is this the right way of conceiving our sort of aims and goals around the hydrogen economy? Because if I could speak a little on your behalf, I believe both of us share the view that perhaps we could be a bit more nuanced in our framing and look at the, the final products that uh, renewable hydrogen could give us. So imagine like green steel, synthetic fuels, renewable fertilizers, and so on, um, as well, of course what we don't need it for, so road transport, low temperature heating, and so on. So looking through the other end of the telescope in that way, could you maybe speak a little on this, i.e. the difference between hydrogen as a product in of itself and, and the things we might need it to do? Yeah, James, when we were talking about this uh, over coffee, uh, something cropped up with me that's an old story in the EU. At a certain moment, we were pushing for having more wine production and more milk production. And we ended up with useless milk, useless butter, and bad wine. <laughs> I sometimes get the impression that we are going to get the same thing with hydrogen. We are pushing hydrogen because we push hydrogen. Without asking ourselves, are people going to drink all that bad wine? Slash, are we going to use that hydrogen in a reasonable way? So, yes, I would have with Galileo, Galileo who is a very important citizen of the city, turn the telescope and see what is the purpose of hydrogen? Where are we going to use it? And over my long career, more than 40 years, I've seen that hydrogen popped up with various applications. It would have been the, the source for, for electricity with fuel cells. It would have been the D-driver of cars, of uh, carbon-neutral cars. It would have been whatever you like. It always came up and vanished. And I'm, to a certain extent, scared that this will happen again. So we have to look very carefully. It's a very difficult molecule. It's very difficult to handle. So we need to have it where it needs to be. And the ones you already said that are not useful, we should not push them. There's no need to set up a volume of hydrogen to get the hydrogen market going. If we don't need it, we don't need it. If we only need it in small quantities at certain places, we don't need a hydrogen network. 
we need to see where it is needed, in what quantities it needed, in which shape it's needed. And then having done that analysis, we should see how to produce the amounts that are there. And uh, if I remember well from when we discussed it earlier, did you say there were sort of four sectors that you saw were sort of unavoidable, or at least four, four applications where we can be sure it will be required? That's correct. There is a part of the industry, and there are two things in industry which really need hydrogen as such, that is carbon-neutral steel making, making, excuse me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just because this was new to me when you explained it earlier, which I thought was interesting. This is not, you're not talking about application in steel making, you know, just for the heat. Rather, this could already be electrified, perhaps. But, well, I'll leave, I'll leave you to explain the nuance. Yeah. The, if you have the iron ore, then you need to deoxidize it. You need to take the oxygen away from it. And you need to have some other element that wants that oxygen more than the iron does. And that's... It was before carbon, and it's now going to be H2 leading to water. Yes. So, then, therefore, you need hydrogen. Yeah. It's not about energy, it's just about the chemistry. Yes. Another chemical application is very important for Europe, and to my feeling, not enough stressed, is circular plastics. If you have long chemical chains, they have an awful lot of carbon in it and not much hydrogen. If you want to chop them up again, into their basic components, you need to add hydrogen. These are two applications which cannot be done by electricity because you need that H2 atom. The rest, we can do electrically. That was one point for those, those two industrial applications. Then the next point is fuels for aviation and fuels for shipping, long distance shipping. Certainly we need they're a molecule. Whether it's going to be hydrogen as such, probably not. Yeah. We will have a derivative. Yeah. And then we need a pot of energy storage to cover the holes in PV and wind. Yeah. And, and PV and wind have their holes. In German, they call it Dunkelflaute. And we need to fill up the, the things with a gas or with a liquid fuel that can be burned into a regular power plant that will only operate a few weeks per year. Yes, yes, exactly. So I think that, that's a really interesting point is, look, we need, we need molecules and some examples, like in the case of steelmaking, this is explicitly and clearly hydrogen. In other cases, as, as is with synthetic fuels, this may not be hydrogen, in which case, let's be careful in how we build those value chains, right? Let's not import ammonia to make it into hydrogen, to make it back into ammonia again, to then use it as a fuel or, or something bizarre like this. Let's be really let's be really clever, really smart, and uh, really efficient in how we build those value chains where we can. Fully agree, and uh, the practicalities are, are very important. For instance, if you have an airplane, the fuel, the volume of fuel you can carry is limited. Yeah. And if you want to have a lot of energy per liter, you end up with e-kerosene. Yeah. That's, that's the easiest way. Uh, hydrogen, you will not fit into an airplane. You will not fit into a ship. It's just too big. Yeah. No, indeed. Super interesting. And I think a big reasoning behind your focus on, you know, let's be being, being explicit about these four sectors or four areas as the 
real priority cases for the use of this product, um, if I could speak a little on your behalf, seems to flow from a general understanding about the scarcity of electrons, right? And a, a critical uh, application and the opportunity cost of where we choose to use them. And let's say there's a lot of attention on this subject now uh, about the relationship between hydrogen and electricity and how it relates to the drive to electrification, which should be the priority, let's say, after efficiency. So um, I wondered if you could also elaborate on another area to do with uh, the coupling with uh, alternative energy products, in this case, bioenergy, that may be able to help on this on this side. So the relationship not only between electricity and power to gas, but also the relationship between electricity, power to gas, and bioenergy products that are already in our system, let's say. We have to be careful not to import what we have ourselves. So if I look at the uh, fuel that's going into cars, already X percent, I think five or something, is coming from biofuel. Now, if we are going to electrify all cars and trucks, those 5% are free. We cannot have 5% of cars running on biofuel and having all the the stations, petrol stations still open for that 5%, that is going to disappear. So how are we going to use that 5%? Maybe we can use it as fuel for planes, possibility, or we can use it as a source of chemistry. Uh, We use an awful lot of biomass for heating houses and buildings. Sweden, Norway, uh, and uh, Finland, and Mm -hmm. that kind, Denmark. So if we heat those houses electrically via heat pumps, we free an awful lot of biomass. And maybe we can use that biomass for filling the holes of storage. So we have to be very careful to intelligently use that biomass. And that's something which is not covered, to my knowledge, in all the policy, we seem to be saying, okay, that wood is used in heating houses, so we don't have to look at that anymore. That's already clean and green. So why bother? Yes, we do bother to free it up to do more difficult things. Yes, no, indeed. I think that's a really fascinating point. Also, it links really clearly with the, the hydrogen conversation, right? Because there's uh, you know, a sort of like a prevailing understanding that this existing fossil hydrogen consumption that we have needs decarbonizing as a first step. Yes, okay, this is, implicitly makes sense, but the larger share of that is used for oil refining. So you imagine a net zero world, this oil refining disappears, or at least is reduced uh, by an enormous amount. That demand disappears as well. So it takes this sort of this kind of critical thinking you're doing on the, the uh, allocation of bioenergy can have learnings also elsewhere in how we think about our future energy system. We have to step back and it's not easy and get away from silos. And and really that's what's happening. Say biogas. People are saying we take the biogas and we put it into the regular natural gas. We, we, We mix it. Fine. Is this the best way to do it? No. Take all the heating from gas away, use that biogas and feed it into the industry. where it can be used in a far more effective way for things which cannot be done otherwise. Yeah, Uh, very interesting. I know you bring this sort of engineer's rationality to this sort of highly political and at times unscientific world of uh, clean hydrogen or molecules, let's say. 
And this has certainly really helped me and others to see the limitations of these products and value chains as well as where they can really add value, right? But I wondered if you could put sort of an economist hat on, if you could reflect on industrial policy a little bit as an economic imperative and how far you think clean hydrogen tech has been picked up or positioned itself within these debates. Perhaps you could even say in deference or neglect of environmental or energy priorities. Um, could you see, for example, that these products have a secondary value in that sense as a fresh driver of investment in the economy? And rather, they've sort of been co-opted into that space rather than, you know, just taking a purely rational engineer's approach on efficiency and allocation and such. If I step back and have a look at things and people are saying, yes, we have to push electrolyzers because then we're going to have a learning curve and then to produce more electrolyzers. And if I see the vast but limited amount of hydrogen needed, I doubt. If I see the way things are moving in PV, in wind energy, etc., you see a self-fulfilling prophecy. If things become cheaper, we need them more. But I don't think that even if hydrogen becomes cheaper, we will need it more. Still, the direct electrification is going to win where energy is needed. So this for me is a very weird thing. At the other hand, I, if I look at the industrial policy which is set out by the Commission now, I have my weird feelings. Why the push to hydrogen, which is a small road in the whole energy transition? And where is the power engineering? If I look at the X-Link, which is a British project that was going to link potentially the UK to Morocco and to import uh, in a very elegant way uh, PV and wind into the UK by setting batteries in Morocco so the cable is constantly at full load used. Great. And that cable will fill up the production of all cable manufacturers in Europe during three or four years. Something is wrong. If I I look at the need for cables in the North Sea to have Dogger Bank and and all the other things, to have that 510 gigawatt of of offshore wind, sorry, of wind, of of which 150 gigawatt of uh, offshore wind in the North Sea by 2030, we don't have the wires to connect them. Yeah. Where is that power engineering push? Where is that power engineering push to have really uh, good switches yeah, for, for HVDC? How to connect HVDC to the AC grid? How to have those new technologies flying? Yeah. I don't see it in industry policy. I even see the reverse. Yeah. I see that Europe has let out of hand the top HVDC manufacturer being ABB, being sold to Hitachi. So I don't see a link between what me as an engineer see that the 80% of the energy transition will be, so be electricity. I don't see a link with the industry policy. Yes, there are batteries. Yes, there are PV. There's PV in in the whole thing. Yes, there is wind. 
but there is not a connection between that and this consumer. There's even more. If I look at people are saying we need high temperature, for high temperature heat we need hydrogen. We can do this all electrically, but there is no support for electromagnetic processing of materials. So there is something, there's a big discrepancy between we need industrial policy to get to a carbon neutral future and what should be done from a technical point of view. Yeah. So if I understand you well, that there's, let's say, lots of applications for an industrial innovation push. And perhaps we could be, you know, looking in the areas where there are more highly constricted bottlenecks yep. in order to, let's say, untap all the potential that's required in other parts. And I think you used a, a good analogy earlier when you, uh, you and I were discussing and you said, okay, hydrogen has all these different applications. It can do lots of different things. It's this sort of hammer tool, as you said, and yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. begins to look like a nail. But in, in reality, perhaps, as you said, there's examples with the HVDC cables. I think in um, this example with the UK case, they even set up a new, they had to set up a new industrial facility in the north of England yes. because it would, the cable required would require the entire capacity of yes. Europe, essentially, to produce it. So you've created, essentially, a whole new industry in uh, in that in that region, in order to produce that for that, for that well, one product. What I don't understand, okay, is we need those grids in Europe. Okay, we are on top of things in Europe in HVDC. China is still lagging there. Why not push it and then export it? No, we are going to dream about electrolyzers that we're sure that we cannot use in Europe itself all your minor things, a few tryouts, but that we will export. I don't understand. Because the most important thing for selling something internationally is that you prove it at home. We cannot prove the hydrogen economy at home. Yeah. No, super interesting again, and uh, thanks for sharing. I could uh, discuss this subject with you all day. Unfortunately, I have the luxury to do so, but I'm going to move on to our, to our next subject, uh, just so we don't keep the, keep the listeners only on this point. And for this, I wanted to sort of uh, go back to your, your chemicals expertise, let's say, and the properties and externalities that we could talk about with clean molecules. And for me, this sort of is split in two parts. So the first question is on, let's say, mining and the materials required to produce lots of these clean tech products. So Europe... Broadly speaking, uh, tends not to allow the extraction of, of raw materials in Europe. It's, it's quite limited where it is uh, relative to other parts of the world. And if we're generalizing, you could say that the great deal of those raw materials that are needed, for example, for electric cars or many other things besides, are intended to be imported. So we offshore the mining, but we want the electric car, for example. We don't want the lithium mine, but we do want the products that it can help us produce. And do you think perhaps that Europe needs to take a different approach on this? And is that already starting to change? Because you could perhaps make an analogy here with uh, renewable energy production, which historically there's been a big NIMBY issue of in Europe, but the energy crisis of the past couple of years has created a sort of imperative that's now even a legal imperative that 
renewable energy generation is in, quote, in the overriding public interest and therefore can sort of supersede local opposition in some ways. Do you see the potential for this to also expand to the extraction of raw materials, which we, we do know exist in Europe in, in some quantities? A few weeks ago, I came across a new acronym. You decided mainly, but in my backyard, and it was NUMBI, not under my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it's, and I'm going to call it unpolitely, hypocrisy. And hypocrisy means, as you said, we're going to have the people in Africa do the mining in very bad circumstances, having that stuff being exported to China, having it using probably coal or anything like that made into appropriate products and bring the products to Europe with some CBAM if you like, but it's not going to be covering the whole thing. So yes, we need to change that. We need to change to really tell people, and that's to 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 create that feeling. To God, the politicians have an extremely important task. They have to create acceptance with the public. Yeah, acceptance from a high voltage line, over mining, over industry. If people want to have new technologies. They are produced somewhere, and we cannot push it off behind the curtain of the Mediterranean and behind the Ural into Russia. We have to do it ourselves to a certain degree. Do I say now that we have to pollute things? No, we have the technology to do mining properly. We have the technology to transport electricity properly. We have all technologies to produce batteries. We are very good at tech. But we should not prevent of installing our tech here because we can buy it cheaper. The short buck is not really what we are looking at here. If we want to be honest with the world, we have to do it seriously. Yeah. And let's say um, Europe's desire, and I think we can all be proud that Europe has taken a leading role on climate issues historically and has always tried to push to be at the the forefront of policy and um, innovation. Perhaps also part of that is trying to show all sides of this, right? Not only to be leading in terms of the share of electric cars or renewable energy generation in the mix, but to be leading in terms of, as you say, doing mining in in the right kind of way, uh, acknowledging that it has to be done and there's some externalities but to minimize that and not to shy away from that it, it can be part of that climate leadership right yeah. circular economy yeah okay a lot of talk most of the electronics that is scrapped in Europe is going to Africa it is not correct a lot of plastics are exported to Africa it is not correct we have the technology to do that circle here okay that has an impact on society. We have to be careful that it's not flooding away with waste. Yeah. We have to be careful. We have to treat it correctly, but we can do it. We need, and that's another thing, if we do circular economy in Europe, we need more energy. We need electricity, more, more electricity. So if there's no free lunch, circular economy to keep the wheel of circularity rotating, you need energy. That energy has to be clean, 
So that energy has to be green electricity. My point of view, I'm not going to enter the debate of nuclear. Nuclear is also CO2 free. It's up to the political decisions to get in yes or no. But if we want to have circular economy, we need to produce in Europe more carbon neutral electricity. So having electrolyzers somewhere that is consuming that electricity and no electricity to do the circular economy here and dumping the plastic in Africa is not what I as a person want to see. Yeah, it's not the, let's say, the, uh, it's not the right kind of climate leadership. No, it's, no. Not, uh, it's not looking at all of the different facets. And one of your previous papers, uh, I thought, was really interesting, which just looked, tried to look at the, let's say, budget for clean electrons and when we might be at a surplus. And this could be 2040 and beyond. And that's really when we can start perhaps thinking about more discretionary uses and in an abundance. It's not such an opportunity cost decision, but in a scarce uh, economy of renewable electrons, we've got to be really smart. Yeah, but, but we, we, we are finding out that electrons can do more and more. The industrial heat, yeah. high temperature heat was omitted. If we do it properly, it's more effective to do it so. It, the second thing is we're now talking about circular economy. We need a goddamn awful lot of electricity to do that. We want to be leader in digital technologies. Okay, great. But all those uh, data centers are consuming massive amount of electricity. Oh, don't even try to imagine that we're going to set up data centers in Morocco and having with fiber, with fiber the data coming into Europe. If yeah. you want to have dependency on anything, go ahead. Yes. Yes, no, I follow. No, very good, very good. Um, I guess now I could come on to the second half of this question, which you mentioned public acceptance as a key point, right? In order for politicians to be able to get European uh, European consumers, the European public, on board with decarbonization in all its facets and all of the, these different aspects we've considered. One aspect to do with the clean molecule economy, to take it back to that, that I think perhaps goes a little bit under the radar at, at some points when we're having these theoretical discussions about X many million tons of ammonia or methanol or so on and so forth, um, are the sort of physical chemical properties of these products, let's say. So it's about their energy density, it's about their, their volumetric energy density, their, the weighted energy density, all of these kind of aspects, but it's also about how we can handle them, whether we have the skills to handle them and the implications if they get at it. So I wondered if you could speak a little bit on this. You know, I'm imagining the, uh, let's say, the poisonous nature of ammonia and if we have several million tons of it or the relatively unknown uh, contribution to, to, to climate forcing of hydrogen if it escapes. And we know this is a, a molecule that's really tough to trap effectively. We already have issues trapping, trapping methane. I wondered if you thought, you know, if we are a little negligent on these aspects because we try and move fast, does it, is it a risk for long-term public acceptance, do you think, of these products? Or if we plan it intelligently, these are things that can be overcome because we understand how to handle them. There are a number of things. That it's, it seems you're pretending that it's one question that you raised. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's several. It's, it's several. Uh, first of all, as we discussed, the amount of demand of those products is not going to be as high as some people think. That's one thing. Uh, if I look 
we are going to import them. That's also a part that we, that we said. So they will arrive at ports like my humble Antwerp, which is next to where I'm living, Rotterdam, Hamburg, Barcelona, or anything like that. They come to enter Europe at ports. So the question is, how are we going to transport them further? Because that's, if you transport them further, it increases the danger. The danger being, as you say, ammonia is extremely toxic, uh, it's extremely aggressive. You should not transport that if you don't need it. They know how to handle that in the chemical cluster like Antwerp. They know how to handle that in the chemical cluster like Rotterdam. So leave it there. This actually means that if you, for instance, would be using ammonia as an energy source for producing electricity with Ukulflaute, that you better put that power plant in the harbor. Yeah. Okay. If you have that ammonia coming in and you have to produce fertilizers with it, stay at the harbor because they're already there. But that means that all chemical industry deeper into Europe yeah. will be in jeopardy. Great. So the flows will be different, but we have to be very careful in, in, in realizing that and making it happen. So if you look at the greenhouse gas emissions, greenhouse gas capabilities of hydrogen, yes, they are there. And I think we should take them on board from the beginning. If I see the, the reluctance of doing something about methane by natural gas gurus, it has taken two decades to make them do something, and now they're starting to do something. We cannot afford to do the same thing with hydrogen. Yeah. If I look at the molecules, the most easy one to handle is methanol. Okay. Yeah. That's easy. But again, you're not going to transport that deep into the And then we come to the big challenge, is how to distribute that energy, which is a, a big challenge with safety. If I look at an airport like Firenze or an airport like Bologna, it has a few, it has not much energy that it needs. It's a lot, but it's not much. So you would not have pipelines, etc. running around. Yeah. And the only way to transport big but not massive energy is not by pipelines, but by trucks, maybe trains. Yeah. So we have to be careful that we choose for those things like planes, a transportable fuel. Yeah. So again, a bit of coordinated thinking think, and yeah, making yeah. sure these value chains match up. And, uh, and, and, and also quality. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to do the logistics. Yeah. If I'm in the port of Antwerp and there are still ships coming in with petroleum and the new ship of Maersk that is going to hover on methanol comes in, the methanol has to be ready. Mm -hmm. If the new ship comes in that, that uses ammonia at the same spot, it has to be provided ammonia. Yeah. So this is going to be safety-wise a hell of a job, yeah. logistically-wise a hell of a job. That transition is not going to be easy 
and we have to take upfront the decisions and not let it be spread. For instance, make it clear. There are people assume that somebody is going to develop an ammonia airplane. Okay? They say, okay, it's only one or two planes and we will we will, we will see that it flies between Milano and and Paris and we will handle that. But then Germans are saying we'll also do that. We will spread a thing which is really dangerous just to try out. You can't stop it. Yeah. Stop it from the beginning if it's not safe. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of uh, planning ahead, right? And yeah. uh, thinking, uh, thinking of it long term and in the public consciousness. But probably that's why I'm an engineer and I'm not a politician. No, <laughs> but it's certainly a really great compliment. And uh, it's been lovely to chat with you today, as ever. I mean, we could. there are many other questions I have here that I would love to ask you, but uh, in the interest of time, maybe we save that for another day. The rain is still falling outside, so I think this recording has become a bit of a sort of with the birds singing and the rain falling, it's a combination between a ASMR kind of uh, fall asleep <laughs> kind of relaxing <laughs> and the, uh, let's say, uh, intense critical analysis of the use of molecules in Europe. So uh, a bit of a mixed bag, but hopefully an enjoyable listen. And certainly it's been my pleasure. So many thanks for joining, Ronnie. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark.